All right, real quick, just to preface this, there are some Japanese words in this besides the word katana that I have only recently learned how to pronounce. If I butcher their pronunciation, I apologize. On with the episode. Legion of Stars, Chapter 6. What's the fastest way to kill a monster? Loon threw himself out of the shattered window and towards the hooded vampire. His silver sword caught the moonlight as it arced through the air, aimed at the crimson eyes of the pale nightmare. The vampire's lips stretched into a smile as the cloak he wore shimmered and shifted, causing Loon's sword to cut through nothing. The vampire showed a wide, devilish grin that exposed his fangs. The white enamel of the vampire's face quickly cracked as Loon slammed the silver end of his sheath into the jaw of the villain. He staggered back and was quickly impaled by Loon's silver blade. A starch cry came from the vampire as black blood jutted out of his mouth. Damaris, a voice called from below. Are you in need of help? The vampire Damaris staggered back to his feet, clutching the hole in his chest. What do you think, whelp? Get up here. A strange puff of black steam swished up to the rooftop and reformed into another, moderately armored vampire wielding a longsword. Loon smiled a thin smile. Good. A small vial filled with silver liquid slid out of his sleeve. Test subjects. Loon popped the cork off of the small vial and drained the silver liquid onto the sword edge. It dripped off the tip of his blade, and Loon readied against the vampires. Get him, Boris. Damaris growled as he reloaded his crossbow. Oh, won't this be fun? Boris rushed forward. A wide swing came at Loon's head, which he parried with minimal effort. Another attack came up from below as Boris swung again. Loon knocked it aside with his sheath and hacked back at Boris. The strike cut deep into the vampire's chest. Flesh around the scar started to twitch and droop as the neurotoxin sped into Boris's system. Loon drew a knife from his belt. He ran along his silver blade and threw it at Damaris. The dagger struck into Damaris's chest. He tore it out. The same decay and burning overtook the wound as the toxin set in. Damaris raised his crossbow again and launched a bolt. It would have flown directly into Loon's skull if not for his magical shield. Loon mumbled a single arcane word, and a blue wall appeared in front of the bolt. Loon smiled as Boris tried to hit him. The blade clanged against the same blue force. Loon reached out and grabbed the outstretched blade. His radiant armor coated his hand, protecting him from the sword. He tore the weapon out of Boris's hand, but Boris tried to keep hold of the sword. He played right into Loon's hand. As he pulled the blade, Loon readied his own and stabbed through Boris. Then he yanked his sword out. Now to remove your head. Then a bolt landed in Loon's shoulder. The sting of poison shocked his arm. Loon dropped Boris's sword, and also Boris and wrapped his hand around the bolt. That's unpleasant, he said as he tore the bolt out of his arm. Come here. Loon bolted towards Damaris. The vampire quickly switched from his crossbow to a rapier and ready to counter. Loon's blows were parried away with quick swooshes from the thin rapier. The two traded attacks, both too quick to hit. Boris lay gargling on his own blood. What might have been words came out of his mouth. Magic started to collect near him, then flickered and fizzled out. A wail of anger came from his blood-filled mouth. Damaris leapt back. What did you do to him? Loon smiled and pointed his sword at the gash on Damaris's chest. The same I did to you. Damaris tried to cast a spell, directing a finger at Loon and speaking an arcane word. The magic gathered within him, and then... Nothing. Wind blew across the rooftops. 
Damaris stared at the smiling form of Loon who looked like a white demon with an ear-to-ear grin. Good, he called. That means it's working as intended. Loon took one step and then appeared next to Damaris. The air around him grew cold and the wind slowed. Snow covered the elf and frost came from Loon's mouth as he spoke. Cower. Damaris did not know vampires even had the capacity to urinate. He hadn't had to yet. But then he did. A warm feeling ran down his now quivering legs. Damaris stared into the frosty aqua eyes of the mad elf. Parish test subject. Loon raised his silver sword and cut clean through the vampire's neck. As the head flew through the air, he caught it by the hair. The look of preserved terror was disconcerting. Loon meant to horrify him, but only to make the fight end faster. Looking at the head now was unsettling. Loon tried to shake the feeling off and walked over to the one called Boris. He was trying to escape by turning into a bat or steam or something. Whatever it was, he was failing. Miserably. Small wings were coming out of his shoulders. His arms and legs had started to fade into steam and then meld back into flesh and bone. Loon dropped the head of Damaris next to Boris. The flailing ceased as Boris saw the head of his partner, its lifeless eyes staring into his own. The Eladrin squatted down and gazed into Boris's eyes with his own winter-blue eyes. The elf said nothing as his sword fell towards Boris's neck. Just before the endless dark enveloped him, Boris heard the elf speak. Thanks for ruining my dinner. And then nothing. Loon collected the heads and said a short prayer. Two stars twinkled and silver beams from the heavens shot down and enveloped the two corpses. In the light, Loon saw two figures salute him and then dissipate into stardust. Loon gingerly leapt back into his apartment through the shattered window and put the two heads in his bag. Turning back to the table, he picked up the plate of cold toast and started eating his dinner. He stood in front of the broken window and stared up at the night sky. Once he finished dinner, Loon started mending the window back together. The next morning, Loon walked to the king's guardhouse to turn in the heads. He met the same disinterested guard who called the same black-eyed man from when Loon came last. Showing his badge of office this time, there was no introduction. The two heads, together, got him 1,000 gold. And no questions were asked. Loon then guided his steps to the Church of Salion. It was early enough that the sun had yet risen, so there were still worshippers gathered around the slouching old priest. Only now, as the fading starlight shone through the stained glass dome, did Loon see the genius of the temple's design. The stained glass was aligned and stained in such a way that the night's light shone down as a spotlight on the preacher in the center. The light came down like a beam from the heavens and highlighted the speaker. Most of the worshippers were wrapping up and heading out to either sleep or carry on with their normal days. Some were still talking with the priest. Many of the remaining individuals were young folk asking about their faiths, and the rest were silver-haired ladies and gentlemen asking for blessings. One man in particular stood out, though. Only Loon seemed to notice him. The figure stood under the shadow of one of the pillars. He wore a dark cloak with silver armor underneath. His face was obscured by a large hood, but it was clear he was intently listening to the priest speak. 
His robes shifted, and emblazoned upon his chestplate was the same symbol on Loon's coat. Loon walked over to the collections box and deposited 100 gold. He then went to find his companion, Lumiere, who was cleaning a window that depicted one of the saints of Selyun. Lumiere seemed to sense Loon's presence. Lumiere then turned, blindfold still covering his eyes. Hello, Lumiere. How have you been? Loon adjusted his eyes to use his most recent gift. He learned that though Lumiere wore a blindfold, he still looked at things with his eyes when he could sense where they were. And, if one could see through their violent, unfocused shaking, knowing this would let one know more of what Lumiere was thinking. In this moment, Loon saw through the blindfold and noticed that Lumiere's eyes darted over to the man in the cloak, who was still standing in the shade of the pillar. Loon noticed now the man's head was slightly turned towards him. I've been doing fine, Loon, Lumiere said. Father Charles has been helping a lot. Who is he? Lumiere tilted his head, feigning confusion. The father? He's not the father. You know who I mean. I swear to you I don't. You just looked at him again. Who is he? Lumiere went back to washing the window. No one. It doesn't matter. Well, if he's no one, then I'm going to go talk to him. Loon started off to the shadowy figure. Lumiere tried to call out after Loon, but as he tried, it was like his tongue was tied. Lumiere heard a voice in his mind. Why do you try to heed his destiny? Know you not your station? Loon approached the cloaked man. His large hood concealed everything but his chin. He nodded as Loon approached. Loon bowed a dancer's bow, one used when unsure of another's status. The cloaked man returned the greeting with a bow. Hail, traveler. What brings about another brother of the night? Brother of the night, Loon thought. Aren't Selyun's followers referred to as servants? Simply traveling across the lands, what brings you here? I heard of an attack being planned by the pack of Serik. My intel suggests that they will be attacking one of the quarters of this city. I am here in this church to accept blessings for this hunt. By this time, many of the regular people had left the cathedral. Father Charles turned to Loon and the cloaked man. He approached them as the light from the stained glass faded with the coming day. I would like you to know that I do not like this shady business. The father directed this to the cloaked man. I understand secrecy, especially in our silver lady's servants, but I personally do not like being left in the dark. Ironic, Loon thought. Trust me, father, the cloaked man said. The more you know, the worse off you are. Just be ready to take wounded and kill corrupted. He mumbled these last words. Ah, yes, and I'll just... <laughs> Father Charles put his head in his hands. No, 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 it's fine. I exist to serve, you exist to serve. Our service is different, but we must do our duty. I will be here. Send me wounded. Good. The cloaked man walked under the center of the stained glass mural. He took six pure silver coins from under his breastplate. My silver queen, he held the coins skyward. Take these six for the six. Protect us from Shar's evil. Defend us from the horrors of Korah and Muthdir. The silver floated out of his hand and coagulated into one mass. 
It shimmered and shifted into a crescent moon with a sword piercing through it. Around the sword, seven diamonds made of light flickered into existence, in the shape of the symbol on Loon's coat. And the cloaked man's chestplate. The image started to spin, steadily getting faster, until it vanished in a puff of sparkling light. Elf, the cloaked man called. If you wish to assist in the hunt, meet me on the roofs of the North Quarter. He then dropped down to a knee and placed his hand on the floor. Silver threads protruded from the ground and spiraled around him. After a moment, they shot up in a dense weave and vanished the same way the silver symbol did. When the light dissipated, the cloaked figure was gone, too. His voice still echoed through the church. The roofs of the North Quarter, if you wish to serve your queen once more, meet the troop there tonight. Are you going to go? Father Charles asked. Loon was still staring at the depressed floor where the cloaked man was before he vanished. A mark was left, the same as on Loon's coat. Two effeminate eyes, one black, one white, surrounded by a fan of seven diamonds, with a sword going through the center one. It occurred to him now that he had only seen that symbol in Teladar three times, one on his coat and the other two on this day. The image faded from the ground. Loon turned to the father. I don't believe I have a choice. Very well, then. Father Charles pulled powdered silver from under his robes. He placed three fingers into the small mound and said a prayer. Open your shirt. Loon spread the lapels of his tunic. Father Charles slashed across Loon's chest with his silver fingers, leaving a silver mark, like that of a beast's claw. There, that should protect you from their infection, and partially from death. Thanks. Father Charles directed his hand towards Lumiere. Will he be going as well? I don't... Mm, I hope not. Lumiere, will you be coming? Uh, no, I'll be helping the father. Lumiere's own tongue refused him again. Just accept your fate. Why do you find this so difficult? All right, I'll be seeing you both tonight, probably. May the moon's light guide thee. Loon turned and left the Temple of Selyun. Loon decided that, due to the way the cloaked man said, Pack, the upcoming battle would be difficult and deadly. So he set out to prepare. Loon went about buying alchemy supplies. By noon, he had visited 17 shops and had to have 15 to 20 pounds of materials. He thanked the stars once again for his bag of holding. Loon then made his way to the College Miskatonic. They had a bigger and better alchemy room than his small kit. The only problem he could think of with his current plan was that he was essentially making contraband and would need a distraction. Conveniently, while he was still pondering what to use as a distraction, he bumped into Axemir in the library. Hey, Ax, you doing anything? Axemir quickly closed a book that's title read The Spicy Draconic Servant, Act 3. Not at the moment. What do you need, friend? Would you mind coming with me to the alchemy lab? I need a favor. Sure. Axemir started following Loon. What do you need? A distraction. They arrived at the alchemy laboratory. There were students running about getting ready for midterms. Professors stood watch to make sure no one burned their faces off or made illegal substances. Loon whispered to Axemir. Go and make a distraction. I'll need about half an hour. Can you distract them for that long? Axemir scoffed. 
You are asking an artist, an actor, if you can waste the time of others for less than an hour? Dear sir, you know not what you ask. Axe, I will be making contraband. I can and will stab you to death if anything happens. Axemir dropped the act. Of course I can do it. A half hour should be cakewalk. I just need to make something explosive. Great, let's get to it. The two split off and went to workstations. Loon found a secluded, conveniently dark corner, where he started working on a large batch of his silver serums. Axemir found a place near the center of the room. Someone was fiddling with symbols and potions at the same time, and Axemir pretended to be helping them. After around five minutes, Axemir intentionally placed a false mark on one of the pages. The book exploded. The potion next to the book also caught fire and sent flames through the tubing leading to other potions. Someone started to cast control flames, but Axemir mumbled a counterspell. The flames kept spreading and the glass continued to explode. Now was Axemir's act. Whoa, whoa! He started casting control flames himself and whipped the fire back to him. Come here. Axemir made it look like he was about to extinguish the flames when it curved up towards the ceiling. Oh no. Axemir started to chase after the line of fire. One of the professors got up from his desk and shouted, Axemir Christian, what in the nine hells are you doing? Axemir was still running along, chasing the fire that he was secretly controlling. It's gained sentience! He then went about trying to, quote, catch the, quote, elemental, while bumping into people who were attempting to gas smells. Loon looked over his shoulder briefly. He noted that he should not have doubted Axemir's skill. He was very adept at tomfoolery. Loon turned back to his work. Time passed, with Axemir flailing and fumbling about all around the lab. The first act, with the false elemental, finished quickly, but it got all eyes on Axemir rather than anyone else. Loon had finished when someone approached his secluded corner. Mr. Ophobus? Sharp chills ran up Loon's back as he turned to the professor. It was Heinrich Jamir, a goliath that stood a head taller than Loon. In fact, he was the only person at the college more physically intimidating than Loon himself. Not only that, he was a known and licensed necromancer. Professor Jamir's beady black eyes pierced their way through Loon's mind. What might you be doing? Loon prepared his lie and dummy potion. I am attempting to create stronger potion of healing by integrating holy materials. May I try it? Certainly, sir. Loon held out the red-ish liquid. Jamir took a small sip. It is missing something. What are those? He asked, directing a finger at the silver and black bottles that were next to Loon. Failed attempts, Loon lied. Professor Jamir's eyes narrowed. He looked like he was about to say something when Axemir suddenly spoke up. Not again. With a sixth sense, Loon detected the arcana in Axemir's words. The spell was directed at the Professor Jamir, who quickly turned in a minor panic as Axemir and his new partner, a student Loon had never seen before, extinguished a flame. Jamir turned back to Loon. He had seemingly forgot what they were talking about. Keep up the good work, Mr. Voice. Jamir turned and walked out of the lab. That worked far better than I thought it would, Loon said to Axemir as they walked back to the main library. I am now suspended from the lab for a month, Axemir mused. Oh, I'm sorry, man. It doesn't matter. I barely dwell me anyways. All right, Loon checked his watch. I have to get going. Where are you off to? The less you know, the better. Just 
don't go into the North Quarter tonight. Are you going to commit a crime? No, I'm going to stop one. I will give you one piece of information. I am a monster hunter. Take that as you will. Anyways, see ya. Loon gave a parting wave as he left the college. Loon made his way back to the gates of Hereford. Once there, he requisitioned a stagecoach to the North Quarter. It should be noted that Hereford was so large that a hired carriage was practical. The North Quarter was only specific, since in a mathematician's eyes it was really an eighth. The metropolis itself was laid out like a compass, having main roads where quarters met, and one quarter for every cardinal and ordinal direction. It was near nightfall when Loon arrived in the North Quarter. He took time to stretch before jumping from wall to wall up to a roof. Loon decided to sit and eat some preserved fruits while he waited. Eventually, Loon saw the cloaked man jumping from roof to roof coming his way. Loon packed up his things and armed himself for battle. He donned his silver-clawed gauntlets and whistled his dancing blade out of his coat. The cloaked man approached. Are you ready, elf? Loon's white, glowing armor appeared around his body. Yes. Am I right in assuming that we are dealing with werewolves? Correct. Then take these and give them to the other five. Loon handed the cloaked man six vials of black and silver swirling potion. Poison? Loon nodded. It will be distributed. The cloaked figure ran and leapt from roof to roof out of sight. Loon loaded the poisons into his claws and scanned the plazas below. He was reminded of hunting down an enchanter in Stormwind. That battle did not go well. Two members of the planar watch were mortally wounded, and one died by the end. Worst of all, Loon and his old party were incapable of securing their mark. Tonight would not be like that. Tonight he was stronger, and nothing would escape him. He sat perched on the corner of a roof, looking down. The plaza was empty. Perhaps his new friends had cleared out the civilians. Then he heard a voice in his head. Report. Spotting south of you. It was that of the cloaked man. Go and assist. Loon rose and ran to the south. As he jumped from roof to roof, he scanned the streets and alleyways below him until he came upon a lit plaza. There he saw the beast. It was a figure the size of two men with a body covered in fur. It howled in rage. Two cloaked figures stood in front of it, one with a short bow and the other with a maul. They both wore the same silver armor as the first cloaked man. Loon ran to the building nearest the werewolf. He leapt into the air. Two glowing orbs formed in the air by his head. The two spheres launched towards the lycanthrope. It roared again. Then Loon's clawed gauntlets dug into the werewolf's back. The vials of poison cracked and seeped into the wound through the claws. Hopefully this would slow the beast and make it weaker. Loon was halfway down the back of this beast when a furry elbow sharply struck him in the ribs. He flew off the back of the beast and tumbled to the ground. Loon looked up at the terrifying werewolf as it ran closer. It was about to attack with a razor-sharp claws that glinted in the moonlight when a brick of shimmering metal slammed into the werewolf's chin. It was the maul of the cloaked figure. Then three glittering arrows struck the beast's shoulder. The last exploded into radiant light. Loon got to his feet and readied his silver sword. He lunged towards the werewolf and attacked with blinding speed. Radiant fires engulfed his katana and broadsword, and he cut into the beast. Loon then threw himself back just before an immense paw would have hit him. 
The cloaked mall wielder leapt in, literally. With a jump that brought him at least three feet above the werewolf, he swung a mighty overhead attack into the lycanthrope's skull. Bone could be heard popping and cracking. The cloaked bowman extended his right hand and barked a word in Celestial. A bead of glowing light formed in front of him as he notched an arrow in line with it. Shot and his arrow flew true, landing firmly in the beast's chest. The monster then began to emit light and became easier to see. Wasting no time, Loon rushed in. He laid out six attacks with his silver sword and katana, but they did not seem to be doing much. He backed off, narrowly dodging another mighty claw. Loon then heard a voice in his mind, unlike any he had heard before. It was low and calm, unlike an elder thing, and firmly reprimanded him. I've seen enough. Child, learn to fight. A piercing sound shot through Loon's ears as a bright light appeared before him. He threw his arms up to block the light as it enveloped his vision. Loon found himself again in an endless white void. As before, a thin layer of water coated the floor and reflected a mirror image of everything above. It is truly irritating to watch you fight. Loon turned around and saw a familiar face. It was his own. Seriously, what was all that talk before about killing vampires and owl bears? Were you only taught one technique? I'm honestly surprised that you've lived this long fighting like that. Who are you? Oh, me? Loon's mirror image put a hand to his chest. I'm you. The figure's face and body shifted to that of an older elf. And your father? His body shifted between several different Eladrin elves as he continued. I am your grandfather, and his father, and his father before him, even your great ancestor. His body shifted and shimmered into that of a silver man with short, straight hair, wearing a shatagi and wakama. I am everyone who has wielded that sword, and most importantly, I am the sword. So, what do I call you? I am Nocturman, the Knight's Knight. So, what did you do? Am I about to die or something? No, you aren't about to die. In fact, this conversation is taking no time at all. No, no, this is about how you have no earthly idea how to pierce the hide of a lycanthrope. Which is almost comical, since you call yourself a hunter. So... What do I do? Follow my instructions and you'll get used to it. Loon looked around. Are we going to train here? Nope. You get field training. Wake up, idiot. Loon snapped back into the real world, directly in front of a raging werewolf. The beast's claw was in full swing towards Loon's chest. He barked out an arcane word and a blue shield appeared in the way of the razor-sharp claws. Loon then put away his sheath and grabbed the blade with his gauntleted left hand. He rushed the beast, letting the sword guide him. He used the blade like a short spear and stabbed into the beast's flesh. Finally. It was like he was dealing some serious damage. He laid out two attacks, along with four from his dancing katana. Loon dodged another attack as the cloaked mall wielder leapt in again. Getting in two attacks, the mall knocked a chunk of flesh off with each hit. The beast howled, and an arrow landed in its eye. Claws dug into the ground as its fur rose. In a bloody frenzy, it lashed out with all that it had. A claw caught Loon's rib and dug in. The mall wielder caught a vicious backhand, but the archer landed another arrow. The shot landed in the same eye, splitting the first arrow in twain and dug deeper. The beast staggered forward and then fell to the ground lifeless. Good going, boys! 
the mall wielder shouted. You, elf, you've proven your silver. Welcome to the Legion of Stars. Now, there's more to kill. Take him out. Legion of Stars is written and produced by Alex Peer. The World of Teladar is written by one Luke Warner. I, if you couldn't notice, I didn't use any editors this time around. And uh, if you didn't notice, like it was that smooth that you didn't notice, that's great. That's awesome. But if you'd like to support the show, you can go to the Patreon, throw down $5, you get all the scripts for this. Also on the Patreon now is a rough sketch of what Nocturman looks like, and also the original sketch of the symbol in the back of Loon's coat, if you'd like to see it. Those are both free. But the things that you have to pay for is the scripts. A way that you could still support the show without doing any of that paying money business is following us on Spotify and leaving a good review and uh, going to YouTube and subscribing to the Nacho Warlock YouTube channel. Links in the description. But besides that, that's all for chapter six. So we here at Studio Warlock would like to say safe travels and happy hunting. Warlock hopes that you've enjoyed this program.